0: So let's look over at Luke 24. Last week we saw part of the solution to a disciple's need of knowing Jesus more is found in Christian fellowship. Jesus disappeared, but the two disciples headed back to Jerusalem to share the good news with the others. And then they were encouraged more as Simon revealed that Jesus had appeared to him. So the Lord begins to reveal to the disciples that they need to stick together and encourage one another with the gospel. This is the same today, ladies and gentlemen. Satan wants nothing more than to isolate one of Christ's followers. We're so tempted when we get down and discouraged or something happens bad to us to Isolate ourselves from the flock or from the church. And that is the worst possible thing we could do. When doubt arises, the place to run is to the church, not away from the church. We must run from this thinking of Satan. Take those thoughts captive and run to your fellow believers. We need to be encouraged by each other. This is why the epistles are filled with exhortations to stick together and encourage one another. Teachers are to encourage the flock, and the sheep are to encourage one another. First Thessalonians 3 2, and we sent Timothy and our brother and, and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith. See, we need strengthening and encouragement in our faith, and it happens from teachers and from one another, as we see here in 1 Thessalonians 5. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another, just as you also are doing. 1 Thessalonians five fourteen. We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. See, we need each other. And what Christ is doing in Luke 24 is He's beginning to show them that they need to rely upon each other. See, he doesn't, and I've just been marveling at this concept. Why didn't he, when he rose from the dead, why didn't he just stay with them all the time? For the 40 days. Why didn't he just stay with them every day, all the time? He would come and leave and come and leave and come and leave. Why? Well, I think he's beginning to show them that they're going to have to depend on each other. They're going to strengthen each other's faith. And as that goes along, you see, they see an appearance of him, and then what do they do? They go to each other, and they witness to each other. They tell each other, hey, we've seen Jesus. And I cannot stress this enough to you. Folks, this is what the church is about. That's why we need each other. The tendency is for us to run and, 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 and isolate ourselves instead of sh- bearing each other's burdens. You see this with Titus 2, 3... Women, "...older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior... ...and not malicious gossip, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good... ...so that they may encourage the younger, young women to love their husbands... ...and to love their children." And then Hebrews 3.13 is another one. "...but encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today... ...so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin... ...for we have become partakers of Christ... If we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end, while it is said, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoke me. If you notice here in this passage, one another day after day. We are constantly should be encouraging each other. We constantly should be looking to each other and helping each other and pointing each other to where our faith is found. We're partakers of Christ. And notice that it's as if we speak the, the challenge to one another. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. That's coming from each other. We're calling each other, listen, don't give up, hang in there, stick together. And that's what Jesus is doing here. He's encouraging these believers to look to each other, depend on each other, call each other to trust in Christ. We need each other. The way Jesus began to reveal himself to his disciples made them seek each other out and encourage one another. Have you ever wondered why Jesus rose from the dead and didn't constantly stay with them? Well, I think this is the reason. Look over at Luke twenty-four thirty-three, And they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found... These are the two men on the road to Emmaus, right? And found and gathered together, the eleven... And those who were with him, saying, The Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. They began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. So, what do we see here? We see this encouraging one another right from the beginning. We come to the third resurrection appearance now in Luke. It's probably parallel with John 19 20, or John 20. 19 to 23. You might want to mark that down and you can look at it later. John 20, 19 to 23. It appears that at some point in the conversation in Luke 24, 33 to 35, Thomas, the apostle, leaves. If you notice, it literally says that the eleven were gathered. You see that? But then we know from John chapter 20 that Thomas isn't in this a third appearance. We see here the idea that Thomas had probably began to doubt and that drove him to leave. And again, the opposite should have happened. Thomas should have stayed there, right? He should have talked to him. Because if he would have stayed there, what would have happened? He would have seen this third resurrection appearance. But instead, he leaves. It says in Luke 24, "...and they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them." And then look at John 20, 24. "...but Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came." So if it's parallel, and I think it is parallel to this event, Thomas, at the point when everybody's excited and saying, "...wow, I've seen Jesus!" And Simon says, "...I've seen Jesus!" All this is happening. Everybody's excited. The two men on the road to Emmaus have come back, and they've said, We've seen Jesus. Thomas' doubt causes him literally to leave. And we know for a fact that Thomas doesn't see Jesus for eight days. After eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas was with them, and Jesus appears again. What did Thomas say? He said... When he came back in and Jesus had left, he says, Unless I shall see in his hands the imprint of the nails and put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now, again, I want to encourage you. This doubt comes from a believer in Jesus. That's, that's staggering, but it is true. Why do we know this? Well, because in John 13, Jesus had said that you were all clean except for one of you. And the one that wasn't clean was Judas. It wasn't Thomas. Doubt is a reality. Doubt can grab a hold of anybody's heart in this place. Do you understand that? Doubt can grab you and take you away. What do you need? What do you need to do? Trust the Lord. So, the doubt can grab a hold of anybody. It grabbed a hold of Thomas. And it's very important for us to realize that where we should run is not away from the circumstance, but run to Christ and run to fellowship with one another. If we give a a thousand proofs, though, I, I want you to understand a thousand proofs of the resurrection and countless proofs of the authenticity and authority of Scripture. Without the supernatural work in our hearts and in our minds, we won't understand. This is so important. We need God. We need Him to believe all the time. Not just today, not just when we became a believer. We need Him every second of the day till we go to be with Him in glory. We need His help. It just means our hearts are so prone to to sin, Our hearts are so prone to doubt. We're so corrupt we don't even see truth when it's being presented to us and proclaimed to us perfectly. This is exactly what happened to Thomas. He had eyewitnesses saying, I saw him. I saw his hands. I saw the holes. Unless I see it and put my fingers in there, I won't believe. What do we need? We need God. Every second of the day. Now the instrument God uses to open our hearts and help us to understand. Notice he's the one that does it in verse 45. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, right? But the instrument he uses is his word. In verse 27 it says, Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself and all the scriptures. That's what he told them back on the road to Emmaus, Remember? And they said, and they explained this, they said to one another, "We're were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? I've been thinking about what this means to be burning within us. Were our hearts not burning within us? What does that mean? Well, I, I believe the idea is, is that they were being encouraged in their faith through the scriptures. They were being encouraged by God using the scriptures. The, Christ was talking and explaining the scriptures and their hearts were starting to get it. They were understanding and they were getting it. And so where do we get this? Where do we get this help to help our faith? Well, when we speak truth to one another. Listen, fellowship with, a, uh, with Christians is more than just getting together and talking about your your, your favorite football team. You know? When we get together, what do we talk about? We talk about the scriptures. We talk about Jesus and how good he is and what he's all about. And that encourages us. When we're struggling and with doubt or concern, what do we do? We talk to each other and we tell that and we confess that. And what do we do to each other? We tell each other, hey, I understand. I went through something like that too and I'm going to pray for you. And, you know, here's the verse that really helps me. And what do we do? We do exactly that. And in our hearts, our hearts will be burning and encouraged in the faith. That's what Christ does. He uses scripture. Notice in our passage. Now he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written, that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day. What do we have here? Oh, it's the scriptures. You ask me why I want to preach? I want to encourage you with the scriptures today. It's one of the greatest joys in all my life to be able to share with you the Bible because I know that's what's going to help you. And I'm encouraged too. Man, I was struggling yesterday. But as I was studying, man, I was just like, I've got to preach this. This is good. I'm encouraged. My heart was burning within me in two ways. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the word is good, isn't it? Jesus does use his appearances to confirm his resurrection. But as we will see, the overwhelming proof does not eliminate doubt. Just seeing him does not eliminate doubt. So let's walk through Jesus' third resurrection appearance so that we will see Jesus is alive without a doubt. First, Jesus appeared to his disciples again in verse 36. It says, While they were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be to you. The fellowship and excitement of an eyewitness testimony is only taught by Jesus appearing in their midst again. It appears that Jesus was not bound by, the, by physical space in his glorified body. It was a real physical body, But he was able to disappear and reappear in a room. Now just a warning for us today. We should not look for these appearances today also. You understand that, right? Jesus ascended 40 days later and will not return until he comes back to establish his kingdom on earth. Look at Acts 1, 10 at the ascension. And as they were gazing intently into the sky, they were looking up as Jesus went up into the sky while he was going. Behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. They also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken away from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. In other words, look, he's going and he's going to come back that way. And that's the next time he comes back. That's Revelation 19, isn't it? The reality is this, folks. Jesus ascended and he is not here. You're not going to see him until you go to be with him or he comes back. Do you understand? That's the way it is. They're not these appearances anymore. Contrary, again, to Oral Roberts, 900-foot Jesus outside his window. So, We look for his return with confident expectation. We trust that he will return as he left. We long for his return, don't we? I tell you, yesterday I was like, come on, Lord Jesus, it would be good right now. And we wait. This is the life of the believer. We wait for his return with confident expectation. In the meantime, what do we do? Well, I think this is a good application of the resurrection and the return of Christ. Look, 1 Timothy six eleven. Here's a good one. But flee from these things, talking about the love of money in the previous verse, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who testifies the good confession before Pontius Pilate, that you keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will bring about at the proper time, he who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion forever. Amen. Wow, isn't that a great section of scripture? I mean, the idea is, is, hey, get your eyes on him, trust him, fight the good fight of faith. What is that? This is the battle to believe. It's the battle to trust God. It's the same battle the disciples were uh, uh, grappling with after the resurrection. Is he really alive? Is he really alive? It's that doubt that they were struggling with that you have to fight for. You have to war to continue to trust in God. Do you understand? It is a battle. It's not a battle some of the time. It's a battle every minute of the day. You have to fight to trust in the Lord. You have to pursue Him with all that you have. Do you understand, folks? Oh, this is so important. We pursue Him through the Scriptures. And we pursue righteousness and godliness and faith and love and perseverance and gentleness. Beloved, Jesus rose from the dead. Praise God. He appeared to the disciples. Praise God. He ascended into heaven. Praise God, and he will return. Praise God. We must trust him and obey him and fight to trust him every day of our life till the last day we breathe. Fight the good fight of faith. Trust him, even when it doesn't make sense or when you're hurting or when you're doubting or when you're struggling. Luke 24 where am I? Luke 24, 36 says, While they were telling these things, while they were telling these things, he himself stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be to you. By the way, Jesus' words here, Peace be to you, were not only a typical greeting when meeting someone during that day. In this case, it had so much more packed into the little greeting, didn't it? Peace is the results of Jesus' person and work. It is the peace that we have with God, which is the basis of our faith. We trust him because he has provided peace with God through his work. Isn't that great news? We are right with God. We have peace with God. This is the first thing that comes out of his mouth when he shows up after the resurrection to these guys. He says, peace To you. It means so much more than just a little greeting. So for us to trust in him is not without benefit. Oh, beloved, the last couple of weeks, I've experienced way more deaths than I would like to. And my father just told me last night, my grandmother probably won't make it much longer. Maybe this week. So where's our hope? I mean, it's like every week there's another death. Frank, you're back there, and Frank's brother passed away doing the, the funeral of the day I mean where's our hope answer God he's good peace with God trust him he is good he's provided a way for the separation to go away and we can be with him forever and be at peace with him forever Where do we turn when death and separation from God is everywhere we look? Answer, to Christ, the one who has victory over death and is ruling and reigning now. Praise God. Trust Him. He is the reigning Lord who provided peace for all of us who trust in Him. Next we see disciples reacted with fear and doubt. We see, but they were still startled and frightened and thought that they were seeing a spirit and he said to them why are you troubled and why do di- doubts arise in your hearts now a question arose in my heart m- m- my heart as i was reading this why were they frightened and thought they were seeing a spirit did he look different was there a difference to his appearance or was this just outside of their thinking In other words, they just couldn't comprehend how he could be doing this. How he could be alive. I mean, they saw him die on a cross. How could he be alive? And how could he appear in a room and then disappear? Maybe it was just too much for them. Ultimately, it just reveals our hearts. Their reaction reveals our hearts. Do you understand? We're no different than these disciples. We look for rational, get this so important, We look for rational answers for the supernatural. Do you understand that? We do. We long for rational answers. But the funny thing is, is that when doubt arises, all rationality flees from us. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. Jesus is standing there in front of them. And they think, well, maybe he's a spirit. And there's doubt. And they can't get it. And so they want a rational answer to a supernatural problem. But when they go to rationality, the wisdom of man, they come up with something that's irrational. He's just a spirit. Do you understand? It's very strange. But that's exactly like what happens in our hearts. When we doubt, we go to answers of human wisdom. And human wisdom makes no sense of supernatural things. It's a fact. Please explain to me how God created the world in six days. I have no idea. He just did it. He spoke and it happened. But it's got to be rational. Well, that's because doubt is creeping in. Do you understand? How did God... How did Jesus rise from the dead after three days? That's supernatural. How do you explain that rationally? You can't. Not this kind of rationality. But the fact is, is God is not bound by man's laws, right? Or the laws of science here. God can make somebody dead, rise from the dead, no problem. Listen, folks. We have to trust Scripture Scripture is the thing that tells us. Scripture, however, makes a lot less sense when we are doubting. Scripture is not sufficient at those points. The supernatural events that actually provide salvation flee from our minds. Beloved, so why did Jesus ask them these two questions? Again, it's not because Jesus couldn't figure out why these disciples doubted. He knew why they were doubting. He was fully aware of their doubt and their fear. It wasn't. He wasn't asking this, saying, why are you doing this? I don't understand. He's getting them to look at their own hearts. He's getting them to look deep within. And he said, why are you troubled? And why are, do you doubt? Why do doubts arise in your heart? He's trying to get them to recognize that they've got a problem. All these questions are the same thing. He knows right where you are, too, and what you're struggling with. He knows exactly what you need all the time. And he asks these questions to get them to recognize their need again. The point is, you should not be fearing. You should not be doubting. Jesus says, in effect, why are you doubting? You need to trust me. I'm alive! Again. Then, once again, he begins to unfold why there is no reason to fear. Look at it. Jesus revealed that he had risen from the dead, verses 39 to 47. Jesus gives a threefold revelation to dispel their fear and doubt. What a gracious and merciful Savior, isn't he? I mean, he gives them proof, three proofs. Right? What a great God. Jesus exhorts them to recognize his bodily resurrection first. says, see my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for his spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. Jesus gave three commands here and a logical proof of his resurrected body. He says, see my hands and my feet, touch me, see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones. Again, this is a little strange. Why did he have to say this? (laughs) He reasons for his bodily resurrection from himself. Touch me, I'm real. I'm not just a spirit. Again, the disciples had doubted, they were fearing, but doubt actually served to help us. This is really cool. I want you to think for a second. Their doubt helped me anew. Why? Why does their doubt help me anew? Well, their doubt made it so that he gave proof to them. So that it all got written down so we could have it. That's really a cool thought, right? God always uses everything to reveal himself to his children. Even us. So waving back here. The doubt of the disciples actually gives us more proof because their doubt caused Jesus to give more revelation of his confirmed bodily resurrection. For thousands of years we the church has said that Jesus rose from the dead because his own needed more proof, and he gave it to them. He bodily rose from the dead. Again, beloved. The other religious books make the followers out to be heroes. But the Bible has only one hero in the Bible. There's only one. His name is God. Do you understand? It's God. Mankind is kept in his rightful place in the Bible. He is shown to be in need. And God is shown to be the provider of revelation. We know from John's account. That he actually showed them the holes in his hands and, again, all the evidence they needed from him. Literally, he says, it is I myself. We can trust in the resurrected Savior. He's alive. You realize that there are thousands of pages of apologetic information that tries to prove that the resurrection of Jesus happened. Thousands of pages. There was actually an uh, apologetic conference this weekend. I would love to have watched there. Jason Lyle did a uh, debate with um, somebody on the difference between presuppositional apologetics and evidential apologetics. I would love to have watched that. would have been very, very interesting. But the idea is, is that people are always trying to prove that Jesus really rose from the dead. Oh, Books! I mean, you're talking huge books trying to prove that Jesus rose from the dead. Beloved, don't go down this road. Just trust what the Word of God says. He rose from the dead. Fact. You know, again, why did God give us this book? He gave us this book so we can know Him and know that Jesus rose from the dead. That's enough. Don't go with human wisdom. After all, Colossians 2.8 says this. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. We have what we need. It's in Scripture. Trust it. He tells us that Jesus is alive. Be careful not to trust in man's wisdom. Trust in in God's word, ladies and gentlemen. Notice, however, Jesus is not going done giving proof. Jesus ate food to confirm his bodily resurrection. <laughs> Look at this. While they still could not believe it because of their joy and amazement, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. Now, again... I don't believe he ate this fish because he was hungry. How do I know that? Well, it doesn't say he was hungry, but I think the little phrase at the end in verse 43 kind of gives it to you. He says he took it and he ate it before them. The idea is is he ate this to show them that he was a human, that he was bodily resurrected from the dead and he could eat food. That's an interesting thought, isn't it? He gave proof. Now, this re- proof can't be repeated, so we must believe based on the Word of God, right? Do we know that Jesus bodily rose from the dead? Yes. How do we know? Because it says it. Was it a spirit? Was he a spirit only? No. It's a bodily resurrection. He could eat food. Trust it. That's enough, isn't it? Scripture's enough. Interestingly, interestingly, Jesus now appeals to his word for his final proof. We see this in verses 44. Notice, Jesus appealed to the word as confirmation of his resurrection. He said, now he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Jesus appealed to what he had said numerous times previously, before he had died. One of the places that this is probably referring to or Jesus was referring to is Luke 18. In Luke 18:31, it says, Then he took the twelve aside, this was before he died, and said to them, Behold, we are going to Jerusalem, and all the things which are written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he will be handed over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and mistreated and spit upon and after they have scourged him, they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise again. Do you see, folks? Jesus, what is his appeal? What does he defend himself by? He defends himself by the scriptures. And it is the very thing that gives us our defense. Why can I stand up here today and say Jesus is alive? I can say it. Unquestioned guarantee. I mean, it's a fact. Why? Because Scripture says it. It's authoritative. Jesus is alive. He said it, and he's alive. Now, Jesus appealed in Luke 24 to the division of the Old Testament. And notice he says, the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. This was exactly how the Hebrew Bible was broken down and divided in that day. Again, pointing to the fact that the prophecies of Scripture, of Christ rather, are in all three parts of the Bible, in the Old Testament the Psalms, the prophets, and the Law of Moses. And it's very interesting that when the disciples begin, Jesus is gone, he's ascended. When they go and start sharing their faith, what do they appeal to? The same three. Matter of fact, look, you see this. The Psalms, in Acts twenty two twenty three, Peter speaking, he says, This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held by its, in its power. For David said of him, or says of him, This is from Psalms. I saw the Lord always in my presence, for he is at my right hand, so that I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue exalted. Moreover, my flesh also will live in hope, because you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. What did he appeal to? He appealed to the Psalms in order to give the validation that Christ was going to rise from the dead. You will not allow your anointed one to undergo decay. That was a quote from Psalm 16, 8 to 11. So what did they do? They use the very scriptures to prove that Jesus is alive. That's what we do, right? Do you understand? And then... The law of Moses is used. In Acts 3.19, Therefore repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus the Christ appointed for you whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from the ancient times. Moses said... The Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren to him shall give heed to him you shall give heed to everything he says to you. Again, he's quoting from Deuteronomy, the law, Deuteronomy 18:15. And then finally, the prophets. Philip Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, "Do you understand what you are reading?" And he said, well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture which he was reading was, He was led as a sheep to slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. What is that a quote from? Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. What did Jesus do? He told them, Use the prophets, use the law, use the Psalms. That's proof enough. And what do they do? They do the same thing. They turn around and they prove and show that Jesus is alive. He had died and rose from the dead from the scriptures. Here's one for you. Do you realize that you could witness of Jesus? With just the Old Testament. You could give the full gospel with the Old Testament alone. Why? Because it told of him. Told of all that he was going to do. It told that he was going to die. It told that he was going to rise from the dead. It told that the sacrifice was necessary. It told that humanity is dead in sin and needs a savior. It's everywhere. The Old Testament is filled with Christ pointing to his coming. Again, just as Jesus did, the disciples learned to appeal to the law, the prophets, and the Psalms to confirm who Jesus is, that he's the Christ who died and rose from the dead and ascended. Now, if you look over at Luke twenty-four forty-four, God loves changing people by his word. And we see this here. The person and work of Jesus is the basis of every good thing that God does. Notice it says, "And that repentance for forgiveness of sins who be or would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations." The idea is is real clearly would be proclaimed in his name to all nations. The idea is is that the result of Understanding who Christ is, is that when we repent and we trust in him, our sins are forgiven. Paul Tripp um, defines repentance this way. He says, repentance is a change of heart that leads to a radical change in your life and in its relationships and its daily situations. It's a change of heart that leads to a radical change in your life. Why is there a radical change in your life when you repent? Because you know who he is. You have a new Lord. He is king. He died for your sins. Your sins are forgiven. You're right with him. You want to live for him. Ladies and gentlemen, repentance is a joy. There's joy at the end of repentance, isn't there? Why? Because when we turn from our sins, we find a resurrected, ruling, reigning Savior which means and guarantees that all of our sins are forgiven. Again, what is the change of heart? The heart changes from exalting and depending upon ourselves to exalting and depending upon the work of Christ and His person. This is an ongoing process that starts when the heart is first changed. This is why there is forgiveness of sin when we repent. When we depend upon God's provision of a perfect sacrifice. We are guaranteed forgiveness. Because it's not based on ourselves. It's based on what Christ has done. And again, because Christ died and rose from the dead. Every time we turn to him, our sins are forgiven. It's a guarantee. Isn't that good news? This is a great provision of God. A sacrifice for sin. Again, this provision is not only for Jews, but also for the whole world without distinction. Anyone who repents and believes in the name of Jesus has their sin paid for. Praise the Lamb. The name of Jesus is not a mystical prayer phrase, by the way. It's referring to the person and work of Christ. Christ. It's referring to who Jesus is and what he's done. If we turn and we trust in him and what he's done, all of our sins are paid for. They're forgiven. So we proclaim Christ to all the nations. Again, our message is Jesus Christ and him crucified, resurrected, reigning, and one day returning. And we take this message to every single person we can because forgiveness is found in Him. Trust Him. Look to Him. Rely upon Him. And again, folks, I would say, repentance is not a one-time deal. Repentance is all the time. Anybody got bored a little bit? Anybody get distracted? Anybody think about other things? Yeah, fight the good fight of faith. Turn to him. Embrace him. Trust him. Because there is all the joy in the world found in him. Since Jesus died and rose from the dead, he is the one we should live for. We should pursue him with all of our hearts every minute of the day. There are many good things in this world that can distract us from the best thing. Knowing Jesus and serving Him is the only thing that really, really matters. Psalm 27:4. One thing I have asked from the Lord, and that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to meditate in his temple. For in the day of trouble he will conceal me in his tabernacle. In the secret place of his tent he will chide me. He will lift me up on a rock. And now my head will be lifted up above my enemies around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing yes. I will sing praises to the Lord let's pray Father we worship and praise you and thank you for Christ the one who died in our place and rose from the dead he is alive and for this we come trusting you, depending upon you looking to you relying upon you knowing that you are good Lord, we pray that our encouragement of one another will continue to point each other, that we will continue to point each other to you, that we will continually look to you, Christ, and to encourage each other with Christ. Father, please help us to be a church that is all about Christ and his word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.